You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Cigarette smoking leads to a host of problems for our patients. How can we help them to break this very detrimental addiction? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, your host, and with me today is Dr. Alan Prokaska, Assistant Chief of Research at the Denver VA Medical Center in Denver. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Prokaska. Well, glad to talk with you today. We've got medications that can help our patients quit smoking. Should any of these be looked at as a breakthrough, as something that by themselves can help our patients? Well, we have a lot more choices today than we did 10 years ago in terms of helping patients with medications for smoking cessation. So I think that has been a big advance in terms of helping our patients. I think one point to make when discussing medications is there isn't any medicine that will make a person quit smoking who doesn't want to quit. Okay. So the patient motivation still needs to be there to take action on changing their habits. But because we've got a spectrum of drugs available, it gives us more choices. And the second point is none of the medicines are perfect or 100% successful. That means that one may have to recycle or try again on a given individual. Now that we have more choices, it gives us more possibilities of success. In that, so that the fact that the first drug therapy doesn't work doesn't mean that one couldn't try a different one and then have success on the second time around. I think as people have looked at the tobacco habit, it's very clear that it's a chronic problem, that relapse is very, very common. And so we as clinicians need to get away from the one-shot mentality that this is a person's try for quitting smoking. If it doesn't work well, there's no hope. We need to keep at it, as we do with many other chronic diseases diabetes, hypertension, anyone you could name, where we really have a more chronic care model or mode where we're thinking about the disease. Dr. Prokaska, we have some medications that can help our patients quit smoking. Are any of them magic bullets or do they need to be used in the context of a broader program? Yes, that's been looked at and medicines by themselves without any additional help for the patient are clearly not as effective. It's quite a bit better if you can combine it with either a formal smoking cessation program or use of a quit line or support delivered out of, via one's office. So the more support one can give, the better effect that you get from any drug that one would pick. And then in speaking of the medicines themselves, the first that comes to my mind are the various types of nicotine replacement. Yes, that's right. Today in the U.S., we have five main types of nicotine replacement, and I think many of us are familiar with a couple of them, the nicotine patch, the nicotine gum, and the nicotine lozenge. Those are probably the most commonly used, but there's also a nicotine inhaler and a nicotine nasal spray. So there's a variety of routes of delivery, and they differ mostly in terms of the rate of absorption of the nicotine and differ somewhat in terms of patient acceptability. Uh, as far as overall chance of quitting, they're comparable. The patch, the gum, the lozenge, uh, the inhalers have similar quit rates overall. So when one is picking them, uh, it's primarily based off of patient preference, side effects that one might want to avoid. So, you know, for example, if one was thinking between nicotine gum and nicotine lozenge, the individual with bad dentition, it would be better to pick the lozenge because it's not as hard and not as sticky. And so that might be a choice that one would go for. If you had an individual where the sort of hand-mouth 
features or a big deal where they need something to do with their hand, the nicotine inhaler may be a better choice if that's their preference. But quit rates fundamentally are about the same. All of them work. You know, the nicotine products, if you just give them a loan, will give you, you know, a 3-5% increase in the quit rate. If you add behavioral support, it'll probably be about 10% over what you would get just from advice by you as a physician. So some benefit, but clearly not the magic bullet. And No, <laughs> that's, that's for sure. And do you basically just leave the choice of the nicotine product up to the patient? That might be one component of it, and the others would be the you know issues that I mentioned. So there's patients may have preference for one or another, and so that might be an issue. Cost is a bit of a factor. All of them are pretty expensive in the grand scheme of things. All, actually, all of the cessation drugs are relatively pricey, and so that can be a barrier for people who are self-pay. The strategy I'll use is how much are you paying for cigarettes, though? Today, you know, most people, if they're smoking a brand-name cigarette, they're paying minimum $3.00. A 350 a pack, which really is about the price of you know, many of the medications that one uses for smoking cessation. So one can make a trade-off, you know, that way. I believe that patients are pretty good economists, and they recognize that the quit rates with the medications are not perfect, and so they do think about what you might call present value of money. And <laughs> we won't go into an economic discussion, but I think there's a little bit of concern that if, on patients' part that, yes, I spend money on a trade name cigarette, but if I give a lot of money for a smoking cessation drug and it's not going to work, then I don't have anything. That can be a, a something that where patients will push back on you. Certainly, if you look out over a year or longer, I mean, the, the money uh, spent on tobacco for a typical patient is way more than a typical course of any of the medications. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, and I'm speaking with Dr. Alan Prokaska, Assistant Chief of Research at the Denver VA Medical Center, about the use of medications to help our patients quit smoking. Any particular warnings uh, we should be aware of with the nicotine products? When the patch came out first, there were lots of concerns about cardiovascular patients, the safety level. I think time has shown that the safety overall is very, very good. I warn patients that when they're using any of the nicotine agents, it's better to put the cigarettes down, start the agent, and no smoking while you're using the patch or gum or any of them. There's two reasons. One, I suppose there's the theoretical possibility of excessive nicotine. That's relatively, I would say, extremely rare. But you also have the issue that if one is, you know, for example, using nicotine gum and smoking at the same time, you're not really moving forward on the cessation. That can be an issue. Certainly, if an individual had a very recent severe cardiac event, one might shy away from the nicotine replacement just because there, you know, there are blood pressure effects and stuff. Although many smokers have tolerance to that, the tolerance to the cardiovascular effects develops pretty quickly. I next think of bupropion, Zyban, or Wellbutrin. How do you like that drug? When should we think of that? Again, from an efficacy point of view, you know, very well proven to be effective. Uh, can work really well for you know select populations. If you think of the nicotine replacement things, all of the smokers are currently getting nicotine from the tobacco. So one's kind of substituting a constituent there. And so from a safety perspective, quite good. Bupropion, again, overall has worked out quite well. The only really serious side effect is the issue of seizures, which occurs but is very rare. And it's primarily in individuals who are already at risk of seizures. So someone who has epilepsy already, someone with a history of a severe head injury, 
other problems. So it can work quite well. Many times clinicians will say, well, bupropion, I'd need to reserve that for people with some sort of a depressive tendency, because that was what it was used for originally. But it can work very well in individuals without any overt depression. Uh, So it's certainly a useful choice for a lot of people. In my clinical practice, I have Again, the patient preference does enter into it. I have some individuals who are interested in it, others who aren't, and it can also work quite well combined with a nicotine replacement. Does it help to mitigate the weight gain? Well, that's been one of the advantages. Weight gain does occur with smoking cessation in a proportion of people. The studies with bupropion ameliorated that a bit. Not to say that there's zero weight gain, but the weight gain is less with the bupropion than with you know, placebo or some of the other agents. And so, uh, for example, many women have concerns regarding weight, many men too, and that if that's a big concern, then bupropion might be a really good choice for them. And then the newest one that I'm aware of, the Shantix. Yes, Shantix or Varenicline. You know, very interesting drug. In one way, it's sort of the first designed drug for smoking cessation. It's a derivative of a natural product called cytosine that came from the leaf of a tree. It turns out the Varenicline interacts specifically with one of the nicotine receptors in the brain the alpha 4 beta 2 receptor, and it's a partial agonist. And quite specific in terms of binding there. And so it's been very interesting in that it's targeting the exact place where the nicotine goes. And so from a mechanism point of view, it's been an interesting drug, and I think it may have wider applications down the road. It's only been out, what, about a year? The first studies came out last summer, and it's been out less than a year. So we don't have a tremendous amount of experience with the medication. And as with all medicines, once you get into the post-marketing phase, sometimes you learn things that didn't come out in the pre-marketing studies. But I think the initial experience that most people have had has been uh, quite favorable with the varenicline. As with all drugs, there are some side effects, but really quite manageable. And so if you think about it, we have talked about three totally different approaches to helping a patient with drug therapy, nicotine replacement, bupropion, varenicline, and that's great for us as clinicians because it gives us a lot of choices. We'll run into many patients who, for example, have tried some variation of nicotine replacement, didn't do so well. Then they tried bupropion, didn't do so well. Having a new approach today, the third time may be the charm for those individuals. By virtue of the mechanism of the varenicline, I would imagine that's not something you look to use in combination with uh, a nicotine replacement. Not at this point. To my knowledge, there haven't been any studies where that's been really looked at as a strategy. Again, it being a partial agonist, that wouldn't be quite, from a pharmacology perspective, I don't think one would want to uh, use that as, as a technique until it had been studied further. So varenicline is a single agent. With it occupying those receptors, you would think that adding extra nicotine probably wouldn't be that beneficial. I think that's the thought. Now, as with everything else, I think it's probably something worth further study. Uh, because the issue is, are the receptors fully occupied? I wouldn't be surprised if a couple years we don't have more information on that. But I think for now, one would say that varenicline is a single agent. But as you mentioned, you sometimes do use the bupropion with one of the nicotine replacement therapies. That combination is something often used. Uh, similarly, one can use combination nicotine replacement. Are there other agents that we should be aware of or things coming down the road that uh, we may have soon? 
older agents where there's data for efficacy, so nortriptyline and clonidine being two. As clinicians, we're all familiar with those medicines and the side effects, and so they're definitely second-line agents. But they're out there for selected people. Either one of those may be a useful alternative. There's a couple things that are being worked on that we may see someday. You know, Rimonabant, which is one of those medications that interacts with the endocannabinoid system, has been tested for smoking cessation. To my knowledge, that's not ready for release yet, and so, but that may come down the road. The other thing that's coming is the vaccine. People have worked on a vaccine that would bind nicotine and prevent it uh, from, you know, getting into the brain. And that's also being worked on, but again, not ready for clinical use. But I think we're coming into a period where we're likely to have a number of new medications over the coming years that will, again, give us more choice. And as the new ones come online, I think the studies to test about what combinations are most effective will also come along. Well, I want to thank Dr. Alan Prokoska, Assistant Chief of Research from the Denver VA Medical Center, who's been our guest as we've been talking about how to use medications to help our patients quit smoking. This is Dr. Lee Friedman, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.